Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bolton eBikes podcast. I'm excited to have a guest on the show today who has a lot of cycling experience from around the world. So, definitely something new and unique that you haven't heard about. Once again, this is the Bolton eBikes podcast, and I'm your host, Kyle Chittock, and owner of Bolton eBikes. So today I've got Henry Gold with us. He is the founder and owner of TDA Global Cycling. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Henry. It's a pleasure to be here. (laughs) Great. I guess we just really have to start off with what is TDA Global Cycling? What do you do? What does that mean? Okay, well, TDA actually still stands for, for uh, our, our original and, and the project that we are, or second tool that we are just most um, well known for. It's called Tour d'Afrique, which is a Cairo to Cape Town four month expedition across the African continent, which we started doing in 2003 and doing it every year, except for the COVID year. <laughs> As we expanded, as our menu of tours expanded around the world, we realized that calling ourselves Tour d'Afrique uh, was just problematic. Engineering the company to TDA to keep the link to the original thing and, and expand it to global cycling, which is what we do. We cycle literally all over the world. Tours uh, cover um, over 80 countries. We do cross-continent tours. We are the only company in the world who actually do stuff like this. But we, we cover all continents. Uh, these are very popular, literally once-in-a-lifetime epic tours. So if someone is a cyclist, they reach out to you and say, hey, I want to do a ride across a certain area uh, in some other country, you basically are like the guided tour that takes them on the road, and you ride with them, right? That's how this all works? Right. It's a guided tour. They're quite independent, so you actually uh, are going with a group, but you, you can ride at your own pace. We create what we what's unique about our tours really is that we create the infrastructure to support you to go safely and securely and, and be aware of the dangers and we are there to help you with health issues and food and water and stuff like that. And all of that is actually on the website. You can see it. It's well done. The company has been around as I said since since two thousand and two. So we are entering into the twentieth year. We have uh, under normal circumstances we would have uh, um, eight, nine, ten tours a year at different parts of the world. Some of the big tours that we do, like, for example, top to bottom of North America, we do every three years, just because it's tremendous amount of logistics and support that's required. Some tours, like Tour de Afrique, is so popular, we do it every year. And some other tours we do every two years in Europe, for example. We have several different routes crossing the continent. And we have now one-country tours as well, where where we just focus for three or four weeks in one country, and we really cycle. It's a holiday where you do anywhere from 90 to as much as 150 kilometers a day, maybe a century sometimes when there's no, no campsite or hotels in sight. You have to really enjoy being on a bicycle several hours. <laughs> right. And seeing the world that way. Okay, so you have some shorter rides and then some rides that are months-long tour, basically? you can Months-long. Our, our longest five months. <laughs> oh, five months. Okay. Yeah, that's a lot of time to be in the saddle. And I'm curious, when you say top to bottom in America, where does that start and where does it end, to give people some context? Literally, we start in a 
Tuck Tayak Tuck, Northern Canada, the Northern Seas, and go all the way to Panama City. We crossed the whole continent. Oh, wow. It's actually a five-and-a-half-month trip. Now, I do have to emphasize that you could actually do sections as well. You don't have to commit yourself to the whole trip. You can do the way we, we, we create these tours is that the, you know, if you cycle for five days and you take a rest day, and every two weeks or so, depending, we end up in a major city so you can fly in and fly out. So if you're only able to do one section. Or you want to split it. You know, some people say, I can do a month this year and a month next year and so on, you know. So uh, people do variety of combinations. And they, uh, for example, in Africa, I've had people who did it in four years, a month each. So obviously working people could only take a month off. <laughs> right. Take a month here and do do another section of that uh, particular tour another year, and that's so you get to get the whole experience. Just break it up a little bit. <laughs> well, people have done also. You know, some people go on. A, let's say you're you know you're a couple and your partner is not particularly keen on doing the whole thing, but so they come in for two week sections to be with you somewhere and they go back. So people do all kinds of interesting combinations, and that's where we do. You know, we we are allow we, we create all the possibilities that if you really want to do more than, as I said, the typical 10 days or two weeks holiday on a bicycle, particularly as you get older, you know, a lot of people go around the world do different things on their bicycle by themselves, and that's fine, you know, um, however, as you, as you age, you know, it's nice to have someone there to, that can fix your bicycle or, or make sure that you get good food every day, just food, and, and uh, who knows, uh, the majority of people have no idea, you know, what are the geopolitics or security issues in different countries. And that's our expertise. We really, my staff is from around the world for many, many years. I have a very, very background. My staff has background. We all have traveled around the world. So if we have this expertise where somebody says it's safe to go in such and such a country uh, or uh, I know there's a problem in the north of a country. Can I go to the south? Or are you going to the north or south? And, you know, we say, yeah, we want to go to the north. It's dramatic or, you know, new things have exploded there, so we're not doing it. Okay, so you're taking people through different countries, showing them where to go, where it's safe to go, and kind of holding their hands, so to speak, through the process. Do you find that people are maybe good cyclists that maybe are just afraid to ride in an unfamiliar country or do you get a lot of beginners who haven't done a lot of cycling touring type uh riding what sort of people are are usually signing up for these interesting point you made there uh again what's unique for us is that we actually are open to all sorts of people often we have had people who come who come on the african trip who have never you know, who have never, or not serious cyclists at all. However, what they do all share, all these people share have a sense of adventure and a sense of, uh, you know, I can do this, I'll find a way of doing it. And people are not, may not be in shape, but again, we are there to give you pointers and you don't have to do the whole thing every day. There is a pickup. You can, you know, you can do half a day, half lunchtime, you can start from, from lunchtime. You know? so, so we have all kinds of options. I mean, you actually, I can tell you stories of people who are not cyclists at all. And have gone around and done not only one trip with us, but they have done several trips with us. People who come on a trip are terribly overweight out of shape, and by the end of the trip, you know, you would think that they're Olympic athletes. You would see 65 year olds telling you doing centuries, you know, two, three days in a row and saying, ah, that's nothing. Where at the beginning, you, you, would, you would see 50k, I can't do it, I just can't do it. So it, it's very interesting how people grow. 
what they learn and um, and and the main as I said the main thing that has to be is that you're willing to feel a little uncomfortable that you have to <laughs> you know you have to be open to, open to saying I'm doing something I've never done before and therefore I'm gonna you know gonna be open to unexpected surprises and I can expect you know you can expect you're gonna get a hot shower or, or sometimes there's no water so we give you a you know half a gallon of water and they just see that corner. And the tree, go and wash yourself there. <laughs> Guess what? You can stay healthy and clean that way too. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it's an adventure. And and then we get cross section of how should I put it? People with both professional, non professional, people with financial means, people with, who are you know who are kind of a, who save three, four, five, six years, ten years to do this. We get youngsters. We get this is another nice thing. We, um, we get people who are in their you know early twenties or maybe just out of college. And becoming friends with people who are in their 60s and 70s, they're literally uh, their grandchildren. And they form bonds because of that, which is very rare in modern society where, you know, a stranger at the age of 70 becomes a friend. And this, by the way, happened to my niece, who was 17 years old when she joined me. And one of the gentlemen we had on a trip, you know, she reminded me so much of my granddaughter. And they bonded. <laughs> it's very nice to see what happens on this trip. Cool. All very interesting. I don't know of anybody else doing this type of thing. I can't imagine that there are very many people that do, especially traveling as many locations as you do just all over the world. That's pretty cool. Now, I got to ask, of course, because uh, this is the Bolton e-bikes podcast. When did e-bikes start working their way into these trips? Is that something that's already happening? Is it something you guys are talking about? I want to know what's going on with e-bike tours around the world. I don't know how much of a long story you want to hear, but <laughs> e-bikes enter into the, my, my mind in 1991 when I was on another project. I'm an electrical engineer by profession, by the way. But at one point, I was working, I was running an NGO in Africa, a non-governmental organization. But I also met some young young gentlemen who wanted to work with me, and I didn't have a job. But I said, I had this crazy idea. I want to build a bicycle manufacturing plant in Nairobi, Kenya. And, uh, and are you interested? He had an MBA. So he did. We got some funding. He went there um, to do a physical business study. And and um, I happened to be in Taiwan on another venture, and there was a Taiwanese bicycle, you know, the famous, at that point, the largest bicycle show in the world. I went there to talk to manufacturers of bicycles, and at some point, I went to a demonstration area uh, where all of a sudden somebody put a bicycle in my hand, had a battery in the back, believe it or not, the car battery, acid car battery. <laughs> yep, yeah, in the 90s, that's definitely what it would have been. And they asked me to take a ride, and I did. You know, I went those 200 meters around the circle there and came back, and I said to myself, I've seen the future. <laughs> and that's when the e-bike entered my my head. I, I, um, I, I was, as I said, being an electrical engineer, it actually surprised me it took so long for the technology to become as good as it is now. So within my company, I've been telling my younger fellows, they're all younger than me at this point, <laughs> That e-bike is the future, we got to prepare for it, and we got to discuss it. And we have been discussing it for years. My guys are all uh, traditional uh, cyclists, and for a long, long time, I had to wear them out, 
keep telling them this is the future and you got to go with it. <laughs> Interesting enough that it kept coming from an older guy, not from the youngest guy. And so it's been in, in my mind, as I said, literally for a long, long time. And I would imagine for touring that you do, probably one of the biggest questions you get or concerns from people signing up that are new is like, how far are we going to ride? Can I do it every day? And I would imagine an option to take an e-bike would alleviate a lot of those concerns and get them to go try it. Absolutely. And, and an e-bike, you know, like any other technology, has pluses and, and, and minuses. I, again, I had an opportunity four years ago. We have a tour that begins in Shanghai and goes all the way to Singapore and goes through a large part of China, then into Vietnam and so on. And four years ago, maybe five years ago, I don't know if I had this opportunity to join at the beginning, so I did. And I managed to, to get in touch with a manufacturer who at that time was um, his main uh, claim to fame was that he was the best, he, he, he produced the best uh, e-bike for touring. So I, I said, well, could I test this thing out? Could I use one of your bicycles? And he actually gave us two bicycles, so a friend of mine came with me who totally, totally unprepared for uh, cycling. And if it wasn't for the e-bike, he wouldn't be able to do 25 kilometers. <laughs> <laughs> he gave us two e-bikes to ride from um, from Shanghai to Hanoi, which is um, about 2,000 miles or so. Okay. That's a long ways to go on an e-bike and figure out charging and... How long you can you go on a battery? And there's a, an extra logistical thing you got to figure out when you start going long distances, for sure. Yes, and, and the whole point was for you know I want to test it myself. You know, has the technology reached? And what will it take? And you know, how how can you do this that, that people can join us? And so it was a lot of fun because I kept trying to see can I do 180 kilometers? We had a, one day it was 175 kilometers. Can I do 175 kilometers with this one charge? battery without changing a battery because I didn't have enough battery. And so, you know, I, I, I worked very, very hard. I made it, but, you know, I worked very hard. And I used this thing only at going, you know, the places where I thought I needed it, which is going uphill, you know, a much heavier bicycle. So we experimented. I watched my colleague, how he was doing with that. You know, you learn the lesson. What are the difficulties? One of the things that for us, for example, if you want to get picked up, no big deal, you know, the vehicle comes and, and puts the bicycle on the roof. Well, much more difficult with an e-bike. <laughs> they tend to be a little heavier. And a young, young woman who is, uh, you know, 120 pounds, who usually has no problem with other bicycles, but now all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, you add an extra 15 pounds or so, and it becomes a problem and more dangerous on top of the vehicle. You begin to learn the, the issues. One of the key elements, of course, and that tour allowed itself, is a hotel to hotel. So every night you be sleeping in a hotel, so we had no problem charging that. Got it. Whereas going to Africa, that becomes a major problem because they're not going to hotels. Hotels are going through a lot of campsites. In which case, now you have to think of how you're going to charge this. There's a whole network of, of um, well, there's just whole logistics now they have to think of, and it becomes much, much, much more complicated. So what we do right now, uh, to make this long story come to an end, you are now welcome to join our trips in an e-bike that are hotel to hotel. And we are now working. In fact, we are. I'm, I'm leaving in three weeks for a, a trip that begins in Santa Monica, California, and goes to all the way to Savannah, Georgia, the southern route across the USA that we, we have designed 
and it's not going to be all hotels. There's going to be some campsites, and we have at least three people who are coming with e-bikes, and we have to figure out how to support them so that they be able to cycle during the day. So the charging is the main, main issue. And again, you know, there are solutions to it, but uh, you have to figure out what's the best. You know, you don't want to carry a generator campsite. Defeats the purpose of being in nature. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's noisy, and then you got to have gas, and just uh, right. yeah, it's not a the most practical solution. But it it would charge it, but it's not the most practical, probably. Right. On the other hand, solar carrying with you solar enough to power several batteries is also a bit of a logistical challenge. So they figured it out, we think, and we're going to test it out. We'll see, and we hope that people who are doing it with us will be generous enough and, and realize that it's still an experiment. Sure. Now, on this particular tour, do you have a support vehicle that's going on this trip, or is everybody on bikes? No, no. We all Every, every tour has uh, at least two vehicles, sometimes more, depending on the number of people and the logistical challenges. Because, you know, there are a lot of people claim the off-road riding. I mean, we really go to part of the country where... Certainly in other countries where where they hardly ever see tourists ever, and it is on purpose because it's part both the cultural and the how should I put it the experience is very different, and also because it tends tends to be much less vehicles and therefore safer. It's a lot of and, sense. And yeah, so we we do that uh, in general, and as a result, though you have to have the support vehicle, whether it's bringing some food or water or or emergency supplies uh, or stuff like this. So. Usually the way it works with us is that we have uh, one vehicle that carries all the personal belongings and other support stuff. And then we have what we call a lunch vehicle that goes early in the morning and sets itself up and sort of about 60% of the day or 55% of the day. And then we provide a very good lunch. We set it up and then one by one individual come in. There are those who come very fast and those who come very slow. But everybody goes. And it's a way of, uh, because we don't cycle as a group, it's a way of keeping a tap on, you know, is everybody okay? Are they having a, any particular issue? Did somebody made a mistake and, and turned off and, and hasn't realized it yet? So and we also have a suite in the back. There are in there too. Somebody gets into some difficulty. But of course, if you make a mistake and you make a right turn, the suite is not going to know that. But it, as I said, it's just supporting the way that you could actually go to places you have never heard of and we are there. And like the 20 years and Literally thousands of people in different parts of the world. We have never lost anybody or had any major, major challenges. We have had a lot of challenges, but, <laughs> but the biggest challenge and the biggest security for us is really the, the same as here in Toronto where I live, which is the, you know, the drivers. Um, no matter where you are in the world, it's always the same issue. Yeah. yeah, a lot of challenges traveling right now, particularly for sure. Yeah, I was on a bicycle yesterday. I was came home and I said, it's the end of the world. And uh, my partner asked me why. I said, um, first uh, a driver was yelling at me and five minutes later a cyclist was yelling at me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Well, I hope, uh, or I guess I'm glad, as far as I know, the smoke and everything in Southern California, where you're starting your, your trip here shortly, isn't too bad. I know here in Northern California, uh, the smoke is pretty thick and it's not, not the best for being outdoors and cycling, but you know, sometimes you do what you got to do. <laughs> yeah, well, we are going to Southern, so hopefully, and it starts on the 19th of, of September. Okay. Now, for a trip like this one coming up, if you don't mind sharing some of these things, numbers and such, I mean, how many people are going uh, or signed up 
to go on that trip? So we have at this point 18 people who are doing the whole tour. And then we have another eight or so who are doing uh, different uh, segments of it. Some may, be do- some may be doing only one. Others are doing three or four segments of the whole trip. We are still hiring other people who are considering coming. One of them is my sister who just had a broken toe. So the doctor oh, no. gave her a <laughs> Maybe she <laughs> needs go. one of the e-bikes. <laughs> <laughs> she would try. Yeah, she's been off her foot for about a month or so. So she's really not in good shape. But yeah, you can join us certainly for segments. There's no problem. You know, for the full tour, um, you can still make arrangements. The challenge, particularly nowadays, is hotels. You know, um, so you get a book ahead of time. But we can we can accommodate even kind of the last minute. Not yeah. always. And do you make all of the arrangements? Are you booking the hotels and arranging all the all the food stuff? So this is all very well catered. I assume everybody brings their own bike, or do you help with that in some cases? Or? Well, we help to rent if, you, if you're doing a... The, the difficulty is what we do is we don't, you know, we don't end up where we start. It's very difficult to rent a bicycle. It's also very difficult for us to supply them because, if we, you know, we can only carry so many bicycles with us. And the, the idea there is people are having problems, they're sick or whatever it is, and they can't cycle. Those are the bicycles we carry. So generally, you have to bring your own bicycle. and. You're right. The beauty of our trips is, you know, we enable people to do things that they wouldn't do it by themselves. That's basically what it is. And we provide an infrastructure to support them to do it. You don't have to worry, you know, we help you. You have to do certain things, you know. Like, for example, if you're going to Africa, you need visa, you need vaccination. We tell you bit by bit how to prepare for the trip, what you have to do, what you absolutely have to do by yourself. But once you get there, you know, we are there, and uh, and all you have to worry is to, to stay healthy, to cycle, to enjoy yourself, you know, to, to be a traveler and, and, and go visit things. And, you know, you want to wander off 15 kilometers off of the main path because there's something you want to visit. Sometimes they point out to you, yeah, you know, go there because it's, uh, it's certainly worth going. And other times, you know, um, you just tell us, hey, guys, don't wait for me because I'm going to be doing some detail. And people who have that kind of confidence ability certainly do it. The only thing that you you uh, you have to, and also it's prepaid, so you know you you cover. What you still have to do, of course, um, if it's every four or five or six days we have this rest day, that means that you have to worry about your own food, whether it's hotel, restaurant, etc. Because we are busy, you know, getting ready for the next section, shopping and the upkeep of of both bicycles, but also upkeep of vehicles and so on. Okay, but yeah, so the main main thing is you're worrying, like you said, about keeping yourself healthy and doing the ride. And for the most part, you're in the background making sure that they're taken care of. <laughs> Sounds like. Yeah, and giving you directions, you know, we give you the ride with GPS direction, the, the flag, the difficult intersections or stuff for all days. You know, we give you briefing, daily briefing, what's coming up the next day in detail. What are the touristic options for you? Uh, the challenges heading up, you know, you're going to be climbing 5,000 feet tomorrow. You know, make sure you you wear a proper jacket with you because if you're going downhill, it's going to be freezing and so on. So, you know, we, we keep reminding you of stuff like that too. because, we you know, we know the route. We know what's coming. We tell you, for example, that this particular section is, you know, very a lot of traffic, heavy vehicles going by, but there's no alternative. We cannot do anything else. Just be careful, and so on. That's what we do. Been working very well until COVID. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm sure that makes things a lot, a lot more challenging. 
for a trip like the one that's coming up, since it's, you know, here in the States and I can kind of visualize that, I mean, that's basically all the way across the country from uh, Southern California to, to Georgia, pretty, pretty close to it. Just ballpark if you don't have a specific number. I mean, approximately what would somebody pay to go on a trip like that? I know there's got to be a lot of expenses involved, but I'm sure that's, that's a question on people's minds. It is on mine. Like, you know, if I want to save up or do something like this, what would it cost? Um, the exact cost for 61 days. So it's 61 days. It's actually 51 writing days and 10 rest days. The exact cost is 15,900 US dollars. And in this particular trip, you're spending 26 nights in hotels and 36 nights camping. Again, it's kind of a combination. Some trips, as I mentioned, are all hotels. This trip, for a variety of reasons, because we were taking it to areas that they couldn't get to the hotels or we were trying to keep the price reasonable enough. It's, you know, if you divide 13,900 by 61 days, it's actually very reasonable. No, I, I think it is. It's, I mean, that's a two-month-long trip across the country. That There's a lot involved to make that happen. So, at least from my perspective, and it's because I've probably read a lot about people to do, you know, coast-to-coast rides and seeing how much money they spend. And, and even if they try and do it very cheaply, <laughs> uh, they're still usually spending a, a few several thousand dollars, even just doing it on their own. You know, when you add up all the different stays and buying food along the way, you're also putting, you know, a few thousand miles on your bicycle. There's some wear and tear you got to, you know, be prepared for. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot that goes into that. So no, that doesn't sound uh, unreasonable at all. Yeah. And we have a train ship who comes, you know, and, and prepares uh, breakfast, lunches, and dinners, except for those um, rest days I mentioned. We have a train mechanic. We usually have medic of a sort. So, again, you're paying for some of the support uh, elements, which are, um, which are often um, very helpful. Um, you know, uh, mechanic problems, or if you're having uh, some medical issues or something. Again, as I said, we, we do this because our approach to go around the world is to enable us to go to places where, where there isn't much support, and, and as a result, you know, we know how to, we can take care of it. So jumping back a little bit now to, to the whole e-bike thing and charging and, and the challenges there, on average, what would you say is the, the typical number of, of miles or kilometers you go in a day? Yeah, so it depends a little bit on the trip. If you go, for example, to our website and there's a calendar of events and you can see, um, the trips vary from the very, very challenging like trip across USA or, or the whole North American epic or South American epic, the very long one. Some of those uh, trips in Europe, which are much easier and, and not as challenging. But what we average is anywhere from 90 kilometers, about 60 miles, to about 120 kilometers, which is 75 miles or so uh, per day. And as I said, these are average because you're going to have days that are much shorter and you're going to have days much longer according to, you know, if you're going to have, for example, sometimes we go on dirt road or gravel road, if you will, and you don't, you don't want to do 170 miles. <laughs> I remember when I was a teenager out riding a mountain bike, and I remember at that time, one of the hardest rides I've ever done at that time was 60-some miles, but it had a lot of hills, a lot of climbing, a lot of gravel. I feel like on a road bike, on a road ride, you know, it would have been easier to go 100 miles that day, but it was... It was a grueling 60-some miles, and that was, 
that definitely was a lot harder. I don't know if most people realize how much more draining that can be off-road. Uh, so yeah, I totally understand that totally depends on, on the terrain and the day could vary quite a bit. Yeah, and, and sometimes, you know, um, like I, I actually scouted this route with a colleague uh, just, uh, what, six weeks ago. And we had an original route to go through a paved road, really nice paved road, but the speed limit was like 65 miles an hour and a lot of this pickup trucks moving by you. And then we looked at the map and we saw a uh, road, if you will, an off-road that vehicles could get on it. So we said, let's, let's check it out. And, and it turned out to be a beautiful, beautiful 25-mile um, ride. Now, some of the people are going to have a hard time with that because they don't like going off for a little. But some of the people will just enjoy it because it's, uh, you know, you're taking people off the main uh, road, which is busy and, and flat and not attractive, and you put it a very interesting shortcut. And then you're saving a lot of mileage there. You know, it's a trade-off. Some people are intimidated by, by going off-road. Other people love it. On all these trips, they always have complaints from one side or the other. <laughs> Well, you said early on that they should be a little bit uncomfortable at some point, you know, and I think that's good. Everybody needs to push themselves or try different things to some degree, and that's what makes it fun sometimes. Well, it's, only, it's the only way you grow, you know, as an individual. It's pushing yourself, testing yourself on, on things that you, you know, and they don't have to be that difficult physically, but it's just... You know, forcing your brain to adjust, to adapt. Yeah, I don't need to have a shower every day. I can actually have a bucket shower. You know, I can have a bucket shower and stay very, very clean. And, you know, some people nowadays have grown up in a very, very comfortable surrounding. And, you know, and, not, and having a squat toilet is something they have never dreamed of, you know, in their lives. And now all of a sudden, you know, they don't even, we have to demonstrate how to do squat toilet. <laughs> but, but boy, oh boy, I get the reaction years later from people telling me how it changed their lives and, and what a wonderful adventure it has been and, and so on. You know, it just, um, to me, as I said, it's very gratifying to see. It's particularly weird, you know, we're not that open to new adventures and, and these things provide you with a safe way of trying something and having someone there to help you. Yeah, it, it sounds like a lot of fun. I wish I could take uh, that much time off to do across the country trip of some sort. Maybe someday I can uh, figure out how to make that happen. <laughs> right now I'm working too much on e-bikes every day uh, to break away for that long, but it, it's certainly something I, I work towards. Of course, I would just want to do it on an e-bike just for the challenge of doing it on an e-bike and, and the charging challenges and everything else. That's a question I have people ask me, you know, anyway, that like, oh, I want to do a tour from here to there on e-bike. You know, do you have any suggestions? And uh, and based on what you're describing, a trip like this is is totally doable, you know, 60 to 70 miles a day. We certainly have e-bikes that are more than capable of that uh, in the right circumstances. And the charging, if you're going to hotels, kind of uh, eliminates that uh, <laughs> problem. But I have been working on, on other solutions like solar. And to do it right, it's expensive. <laughs> You know, especially if you're trying to charge multiple e-bikes, but uh, I guess I'll, I'll let slip some of the details of, of where our solar charging project is at right now. Uh, the charge controller I've got is, is made here in the U.S., and it's like at the voltages we're using should be somewhere close to 96% efficient, you know, and getting power from the sun to, well, from the panel, I should say, to the battery, which is really good. Uh, and it has some unique things uh, 
about it that make it charge more efficiently like that. And then the panel that I have been looking at, I've been talking to a company also here in the US, they do a lot of military solar panels, things like that. And I should have a prototype. This is a brand new solar panel. They haven't released it to the public yet, but I should have a prototype in my hands sometime in the next couple of weeks, possibly. I think if I'm remembering this correctly, I might have to check my emails, but folded down, it weighs around four pounds or so. So less than a spare battery. It would be about the size of, I think it was like a 14 inch laptop when it's all folded up. And that's a- How long would it take you to charge? Typical battery. Uh, it was going to be a 150-watt panel, but they just let me know the other day that it's actually, the uh, wattage is improving. It's now going to be a 165-watt panel. So this is something that could easily be tucked into a saddlebag on a bicycle, and a support vehicle wouldn't even have to take it. Yeah, it's an extra four pounds, but if you're cycling by yourself and you want to just stop on the side of the road and take a break and unfold it, most e-bike chargers charge at 100 watts. So this is more than that. So it's more than average. So let's just say it's charging at about three amps or so. It depends on the bike. If the sun is out, that's equivalent to plugging it into the wall, which is really good. You could ride for two, three hours and maybe you take a break and pull that out and pop it in while you're taking a snack break or a lunch break. Maybe that's not fully charging your battery, but it is extending your range. Maybe it's giving you another 10 miles or something, and, and then you keep going. So I, I think the technology to stop and charge with solar, if the sun's out, that's kind of the big thing. I think it's just about to where it makes sense, uh, and you're not having to wait two days for your battery to charge up. You know, you could be waiting you know, maybe four or five hours for a full charge. But like I said, if you're stopping midday, you only need to maybe a couple hours for the battery to be completely topped off and keep going. So I, I'm really interested to test it. I'm just waiting for the panel uh, to show up in a couple of weeks, and then I'm going to start diving into that. And I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that this is going to work as well as all the math says it is. <laughs> well, keep us informed. I'd be very interested to see how it evolves. To go back to your original question, when e-bikes enter my head, I, I really truly believe that there's a whole market there people who uh, will start doing this stuff if those logistics can be solved for larger groups. You know, um, at the moment, I said we only have three cyclists, but I would love to take 15, 20. And there are many couples, you know, in one or the other, you know, that I could do it, but you have an e-bike as well. And that way, you know, you're actually getting two potential clients compared to losing one. And so I, I truly believe this question, another year or two, the technology is getting there. Bicycles are getting lighter and e-bikes and, and so on. So, yeah, keep us informed. I, I'd be very happy to, to see things working. <laughs> I, I'm sure you would. This could be a, a good solution for some of the things you do. It it might make it to where right now you have to go from, you know, like you said, the hotel trips for e-bikes to where you can start expanding it to, okay, well, we have a, you know, a trip that has a hotel every few days or something. But in those times in between, we can get by with enough solar panels or, or whatever it might be. Yeah, exactly. Well, our, both our North American and South American trips are exactly that way. We have four or five days or three or four days of you know, outdoors camping, and, uh, and then we have, uh, uh, for the rest of the days, we are in hotel room. 
So it's two nights minimum in a hotel room and then you know three or four nights outside. So if you can, if one can solve this this charging issue um, with ease or with relative ease, it opens up the market, in my opinion, to to a large, large. Uh, yeah, and if it works well, personally, I think I will probably just put one of these solar panels in my saddlebag on whatever e-bike I'm riding and just keep it in there because then I never have to worry about the battery dying. If it dies and I go too far, as long as it's daytime out, I'm not riding at night (laughs) with a dead battery, which would be a bad idea, then I could just stop, pull over. Well, you know, so I got to wait an hour to get some extra miles added to my range. That beats walking or pedaling a heavy bike or you know, that that might be a lot better than the alternatives. Oh, just take a break, basically effectively, plug in, wait for a little bit, and then uh, and then be on my way. It seems like a, kind of a no-brainer just as a, a backup option to always have it with you. I agree. I, I, as I said, I think it's going to be, I mean, it may take longer for, for it to be accepted by the general population, but I, I, I agree with you. Right. And, and I know the cost initially because when I started looking into this, I found a, a couple of other e-bike companies that kind of have their own little solar charging setups, but they're not as efficient as they could be. And basically, I, I kept doing more and more research. I'm like, well, okay, well, what's the best equipment out there that we can buy? It's not going to be the cheapest, but what's, what's the best so I can show people this is what can actually be done today. And initially, it's going to be kind of pricey. I would say people are looking at their e-bike and say buying a spare battery because that's an alternative to trying to increase your range for a couple of days or something. This might be a little more expensive than a spare battery, but you never have to uh, <laughs> worry about carrying that extra battery. It's, you know, an extra battery is usually like 10 pounds. Well, this is less than half of that weight, you know, and if you go for more than a couple of days and your two batteries die, well, then you still need a way to charge them up. So I, I think this is, in my opinion, this could be a, a better way to do things. But it, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I, I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm sure there will be more things that come up in, in the future in addition to this. But I, I think this is going to th- be a thing that could make touring on e-bikes possible, just logistic-wise. Because I, I think you're right. Charging is the, is the number one thing. If they could charge, e-bikes could do everything else. I think the rest of the problems are kind of a non-issue or easier to figure out. Well, thank you very much, Henry, for being on the podcast today. I've certainly learned some things because I didn't know, I guess, how much of the world you actually travel and and tour around. And this is really exciting to hear that people are already using e-bikes on your tours and that you've so openly accepted it and encouraged the, the progress to make it get to that point. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I enjoy talking about it. Uh, I, I enjoy, in general, I, you know, I, I've been an advocate for bicycling, but also for e-bikes, because I, we all hear about climate problems, and I've been talking about it for years and years and years. And so it's been a pleasure to talk about it, and I would encourage you to keep keep testing whatever you are doing, because as I said, I think, I think the technology can be very helpful and you know, and, and as I said, people get converted on this trip. You know, once they see what it, they they are able to do, sixty miles, no problem, day in day out. They go home and change their lifestyle. Well, I know that my probably average customer <laughs> listening to this podcast or watching my videos are of a demographic where they are closer to retirement age or retired, and 
often they have more time on their hands than I do currently. Uh, and some of them might be very interested to, to learn about some of your trips. So you mentioned you had a website. What is your website? Where do people go if they want to check it out and learn a little bit more about what you do? Well, if the website is TDA, that's Tom David uh, uh, Otto, globalcycling.com, globalcycling.com. And if you don't remember, just try to remember Africa Cycling Tour de Afrique. We are usually the top spot on the website. And if not the, the top, it's one of the three stops. Um, the only people who cycle across Africa or across the habitat called Soko, we cycle across Asia. You know, all our trips are so unique. Then you don't remember the name, <laughs> but it's called tdaglobalcycling.com. Thank you. Well, thanks again. Uh, Much appreciated. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I appreciate you again for taking your time uh, out of your day to share with us uh, all the wonderful things about cycle touring. And I think it's a good thing. It's something I would definitely like to do one day, hopefully sooner than later. You want to try it for two weeks? Please join us. <laughs> two weeks, you should be able to. <laughs> Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of the Bolton E-Bikes podcast. Uh, it was good to have uh, Henry Gold on. Once again, that's TDA Global Cycling. You can check them out for more information. If you want to go on a tour, whether it's in the U.S. or North America or somewhere else around the world, who knows? It could be just about anywhere, uh, it sounds like. And they welcome e-bikes with open arms. Uh, once again, this is the Bolton E-Bikes podcast, and I will talk to you another Tuesday. Tuesday.